So we've been looking through the life of Jesus and kind of, you know, we just kind of been going through mostly Luke, but we'll kind of jump out of Luke every once in a while to, to fill in some of the gaps here. And, and as we do, the, the way we're looking at it today is, is that um, we're kind of looking through the lens of Galatians chapter 5, I think. I just went blank now. Chapter 4 or 5, I didn't have it in my notes. Paul says this, that it's like he's in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, until he's, to the people that he's writing to. And so as he's writing to them, what he's talking about, what he's explaining is, it's not just about being a Christian. What he's, what he's hoping for, what he's praying for, what he's waiting for in their life is that Christ is formed in them. And I don't know if that captures anybody else's attention, but it captures me. And as I look at that, I think, how many times do we just kind of coast through life with this mindset or whatever, well, I received Christ, you know, and I hope everything kind of works out as, we, as I go through as a Christian. What if we began to look at our walk with God as this Christ being formed in us? John, John the Baptist used the, the language as, as, as he watched Jesus kind of develop in ministry, that he said, he must become greater and I be, must become less. What if we began to think about that in our own life? That's that role of Christ in us, is he becomes greater and we become less. And so as we look at, at the story of Jesus, we, we want to kind of look at it as Jesus' formation. All right? And so as we look at the stories of Jesus, we're saying, how, is, how, is, how does that play out in my life? I mean, what do we see forming in Jesus? What do we see Jesus doing? And how does that look as he's formed in me? And so last week we looked at uh, the story, Jesus has been at Capernaum, and he, he just was teaching in the synagogue. After that, he went to Simon Peter's house, and he healed Simon's mother-in-law. After he healed Simon's mother-in-law, um, the town just kind of descended on him where he was at, and, and he healed all kinds of illnesses, cast out demons, and, and it was, I can't even imagine how long they pro- that, that revival service went. But that night, he goes, everybody kind of disperses, and um, early that morning, before anybody else is up, Jesus gets up, and he goes to, to a solitary place to pray to the Father, and spend time with his Father, Heavenly Father. The crowd is like, we want to find that guy because we got more things we need him to deal with. And so they hunt him down, and, and the language is, is they searched him out kind of vigorously. So I, my Darren translation says they, they hunted him down as he's off in a solitary place praying to the Father. They hunted him down, and they wanted to, they, they wanted to make sure he didn't leave. And his response back to them was, is, is that I, I have to go proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. For this is why I was sent. That statement caused me to stop for a minute. To proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus was sent. Sometimes those, those kind of statements cause me to pause for a minute because there's this little thing inside of my head that said, well, but I thought he was sent to die for my sins. And as I stopped and let that sink in, what I realized is this, that number one is Jesus recognized the crowd didn't understand what the kingdom of God was. Okay? The crowd thought the kingdom of God was Israel. They were expecting a great leader. They were expecting 
Jesus to come, the Messiah, God's Messiah to show up and he was going to take the throne and he was going to, Israel was going to be great again. That's not what the kingdom of God is. We can even look at the, the Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and he says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, Hebrews, the way they would teach oftentimes, uh, especially throughout the Old Testament, is, is that if you find a repetitive statement, what you should recognize is, is the first statement kind of lays it out and the second sta- statement describes it or explains it. So if we look at that statement, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom, what that means is any place where his will is done. So we can say that God's kingdom is wherever he reigns. The crowd didn't understand that. And what's more, they didn't under, what they didn't understand is they didn't understand what a Messiah was. They thought the Messiah was king, and that's it. But Jesus kind of reveals to us through his life and through this statement, there's much more than that. Jesus is prophet. He came to proclaim. He is priest. He came to die for our sins, and he's king, that he is the one sitting on the throne of David for all eternity. Oftentimes, we try to make Jesus our Messiah rather than the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is proclaiming the word of God. He is the the sacrifice for our sin. And he is supposed to be the king of our life. Where his kingdom comes to live in us. And so as we looked at, at that the one last thing that I noticed in that was this, you know, the first thing out of Jesus' words when they found him after he had spent time with the Father was, I'm not staying. I have to leave. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but a crowd that wanted me, I wouldn't want to leave, okay? It would be hard to if my significance was wrapped up in that. What we see is Jesus' significance was connected to the Father. He's able to say those things because he found his significance in his relationship with, with, with the Father, not with the crowd. So that was last week. That's a fast review. This week we move on to chapter 5 in Luke, and we're going to read another story that, that Luke tells us about Jesus' life. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and start there. Luke chapter 5, we're going to read the first 11 verses, all right? It's kind of this one story. We're going to keep it together as a clump. One day, as Jesus was was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Let me pause for a minute. I don't know if this matters to you, but that Lake Genesaret kind of caused me to go, what is that, right? So it's the Sea of Galilee, all right? Sometimes it's called the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's called the the, the Lake of Genesaret. Sometimes it's called a few other names as well. What we do know is is there's a plain just on one side of the the Sea of Galilee that's called Genesaret. And so this kind of can kind of let us know he was probably at this area on the lake. Okay? Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by by the fishermen who, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. 
And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their, their, parent, their partners, excuse me, they signaled their partners in the other boats to, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, so as we look at this story, what we see is there's a, there's a kind of a hidden trans, transition in Jesus' life. If you were to go back in, in a couple weeks back and what we studied, if you just look a little bit farther back in Luke, what you'd see is Jesus has been to the, his hometown in, of Nazareth, and he, got, he was at the synagogue, and he had the scroll handed to him, and he read from the scroll. That was his interaction with the crowd. Then we jump ahead to the next story of Jesus where he's in Capernaum and he's in the synagogue again, and this time Luke tells us he's teaching. Now there's a transition there. He goes from just reading what the scroll was that was handed to him. Now he's teaching in the synagogue. Now what we see, and I don't know if you caught this or not, but what we see is Jesus is now at the, by, the, by the lake, on the shore, and he's not reading from the scroll, He's not teaching, but the people are listening to the word of God. That's a big, translation. That's a big transition here, okay? Now, let me let you in on a little secret. Anytime Jesus spoke, he was speaking the word of God, okay? Because he is God. So, but what we need to recognize is, is Luke's kind of wanting... I think Luke is trying to show us there's this transition in Jesus' life of him taking on a different role. And so now he's not in a synagogue, but he's at the shore. And now he's not just reading from a scroll, but he's speaking the word of God. So as I imagine this story, I kind of, you know, I, I think in video. Sometimes it's pictures, but I kind of think in video. And so I'm kind of watching in my head this story kind of play out. And, and as, I, as I look at that, this story, as I watch it, I see Peter, tired from the, from the night of fishing, right? I mean, this was what we're told. He's, he's been up all night. He didn't catch anything. And here comes Jesus and kind of interrupts the job. I mean, Peter and his, and his partners are kind of sitting, sitting along the sea, and, and they're 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 cleaning their nets. Now, they must have had something in the nets, otherwise they wouldn't have needed cleaning. But they didn't catch anything. So I just, in my head, I'm thinking they're full of seaweed, they're probably tangled up, maybe they're looking for tears or whatever, and they, they're tired. I don't know if you've ever felt this way after a long day's work, but they're just wanting to go home. And they want to get their nets ready for the next day that they go out. 
And so as they're cleaning the nets, they're preparing for the next day, and they're, they're wanting to head out. And here comes Jesus, and, and he stops, and he begins, to t- he begins to speak. He begins to teach. He begins to talk to the crowd. And I would imagine that Peter and his partners were probably sitting there kind of listening in as they're, you know, as they're washing their, cleaning their nets. And, and, uh, and here Jesus goes, hey, would you just kind of, you know, let me just go out in your boat for a little, just a little ways off, off the shore. Peter has to set his net down and stop what he's doing. Now, Peter kind of owed Jesus one, right? Because he just healed his mother-in-law the chapter before. So he kind of owed him something, so he was probably like, okay, well, I mean, either that or he's thinking, oh, you healed my mother-in-law, but I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and do that anyway. Um, but as I look at this picture, in my minimal experience of fishing, which is a very minimal, um, I can only think of is that they just caught a bunch of junk. And they would rather spend their time doing something else. But what we see is, is when Jesus gets done, he kind of disengages from the crowd and he turns to Peter. And he says, let's go out into the deep water. And did you hear what he said? Let's put down the nets for a catch. I don't know, is that kind of like a jab, right? <laughs> Let's put down the nets for a catch this time. I know, you put down your nets a lot last night and you got nothing. Why don't we go out there and actually do some real fishing, huh? <laughs> Maybe it was something like, hey, let me show you how it's done. You ever fished with a guy like that? Claims he has the right bait. Claims he knows where the fish are biting. Listen, if you fish and you've never been with a guy like that, you're probably the guy, okay? (laughs) But what we see is that Peter goes, look, I'm tired. But I love his response. What he says is, if that's what you want me to do, because you're asking, because it's you, I will. Do you hear that? There's a, there's a bit of a relationship there. I'm not sure Peter was expecting much success. It almost seems a little bit like he wasn't expecting any success. The decision to put the nets down was solely based on what Jesus was saying. I'll do it because you say so. So they go out. They drop the net, and they catch a ton of fish, right? Well, I mean, it may have been a little bit less than a ton, but it was heavy. It was a lot of fish. I mean, in fact, they had to pull the second boat in, and what did the story tell us? That the boats began to sink. There were so many fish. This is the kind of experience, as a fisherman, I would assume, that sticks with you, right? I mean, I, I mean as far as fish stories go, this is a pretty good one. I mean, most fish stories, as they're retold and retold, the fish gets a little bigger every time, right? The fight was maybe a little greater. Yeah, right? This big? Imagine, Peter's probably thinking, wait till I tell the other fishermen about this story. This is probably the most remarkable event in Peter's fishing experience. I mean, besides the time where Jesus said, hey, to the water, be still, right? I mean, that's a pretty big one, too. 
Um, but this was, a, this was one of those moments where, as a fisherman, this is, what, this is what probably most fishermen would have dreamed of. Remember that time we caught so many fish that we had to bring in the other boat and we were throwing them in and, it was, and, and the boats were so full, they were taken on water, we barely got to shore. It was amazing. I imagine that story was told over and over again. When I was in college, I went uh, to, uh, to Alaska to work one summer at a cannery. And um, while I was there, you know, uh, my job was going to be, we're waiting for the fish to start running. Well, actually, the fish were running, but the fishing game say you can't fish until a certain number get up the stream, and so you're just going to wait. And so we're waiting around. We've cleaned everything that we're supposed to clean, and um, my foreman was just keeping us busy. In fact, one day, he told me, put on these, this, this um, snowsuit, and I want you to go stand in the freezer. So that was my job that day. Uh, because he didn't want his boss to see us standing around. He was, but he was giving me the hours. I thought I really appreciated it, except for the freezer was really cold. So um, my job was going to be, we were on the fresh fish line, so the other guys had the canning, which they got all the junk fish, and the fresh fish line meant we got the good fish. And the fish that went through our line were going to be frozen and sent off to Japan or wherever for sushi. And my job was to cut the heads off the fish, the value of the fish was, was determined by the, the quality of the meat and how it was cut. So I, I kind of had a big responsibility, and I had to put these little bracelets on, and they were with chains, so I couldn't reach under to, to get my fingers cop, chopped off. They had pictures all over the place of what it would look like. Um, and... Uh, um, so my foreman goes, I want to get you a little practice before the fish start running, because once they start running, you guys are going to be working long hours, and I, I, want, I, I want to just get moving. And so uh, there's no fish and game people in here, is there? Okay. I think the statute of limitations is passed on this one, but uh, um, he goes, I want you to get this net, you know, tie some rocks to it, and then go down under the, under the pier and uh, drop it into the, into the water, and let's get some fish. And so I'm thinking, I looked out in the water, and it was, it's not a, we weren't on a river, we are on a slough. That just sounds gross, doesn't it? A slough sounds gross. Water raises and falls with the, with the tide. It's not, it doesn't really have water flowing into it. It's just from the ocean. And so um, we got down under the, under the pier, and it's just this murky, nasty-looking water. And I'm thinking, we're going to be down here forever, you know? And we, we just, the, the net was like 10 foot by 10 foot, maybe. We threw it in the water, and I am not kidding you. In seconds, the water was teeming. And we pulled the net out, and we had about uh, 12 to 15 salmon that were, um, well, they were about this big, okay? <laughs> I think. I mean, as I remember it, right? But, uh, and we drug those in, and we ran them through the line. But here's the deal. Is I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned by, because it didn't look like the water had anything in it. And it was alive with fish. That story sticks with me. 25 years later, I could see it vividly. What do you think that moment for Peter was? Dropped his nets in, and the nets began to tear. They were so full. This had to have been an incredible moment in Peter's life. I can imagine how important it was. In fact, I think maybe this miracle was more significant to Peter 
than when his mother-in-law got healed. In fact, when his mother-in-law got healed, we don't actually even know what Peter's response was. Right? He wasn't even there. I know, that was another opportunity for a mother-in-law joke. I didn't take it, all right? But uh, (laughs) we don't even know. But this one, what does Peter do? He falls at Jesus' feet and he says, away from me, for I am a sinful man. This is one of those moments where a person realizes who exactly they are standing before. This is Peter's moment to go, whoa. I'm in the presence of awesomeness. He realizes he's unworthy. It reminds me, it, re, it reminds me of the story in Isaiah when, when, when Isaiah has his vision and he, and he sees the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe fills the temple and, and his words are, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter's sitting there and he goes, I am a sinful man. Listen, we, we struggle to really see us for who we are. We compare ourselves with other people. Well, I'm better than that guy. I'm not as good as that guy. Peter has a moment where he sees himself for who he really is. Sinful man. And Jesus goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. Follow me. Now let's take that in, let's, let's, let's just kind of shift our perspective just slightly for a moment, okay? So we, well, a lot of times we kind of have this tendency to read like we've always read it, maybe like we've always, someone has always taught us this. I just want us to, to just maybe get a little bit of a slight different angle as we look at this story, all right? It's the highlight of Peter's career, but Peter is being called away from it. Do you see that? It's the highlight of his fishing career, and Jesus goes, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they pull their boats up on shore, and they leave everything. Listen, it is is really easy for us to say, yeah, I mean, I left that life of addiction. I left that, that life of that to follow Jesus. But what about this story? Peter walks away from the pinnacle of his fishing career. So let's talk about as Christ is formed in you. As Christ is formed in me and you. There's a couple things I want us to notice. Number one is, is you should begin to recognize he is speaking the word of God to you. Now, I've said this a little bit. Maybe it's too redundant for you, but recognize if Jesus is speaking to you, it is the word of God. It is not a suggestion. It isn't something we get to decide, ah, eh, yeah. The challenge is recognizing when it's him talking. The last thing we want to do is be people who, who ignore God because we didn't know it was him. 
Paul challenges us, 2 Corinthians 10.5, he challenges us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Hey, we as people have this ability that we can think about what we think about. Have you ever thought about that? Okay. You can think about what you think about. In fact, do this for just, just a, what are you thinking about right now? See, now you're thinking about what you were thinking about. See, we can do that. We can actually do that. So we can take every thought captive and we can think about it. But rather than just think about it, what we do is we grab that thought and we go, Jesus, what do you say about this? I mean, I've given my opinion a lot. But Jesus, what do you say? You know, sometimes in my conversation in my head, one of the things that my thoughts are, you're so dumb. Okay? I mean, usually it's after a decision I made that I shouldn't have. What if I just stopped for a moment and captured that thought and said, Jesus, what do you think? What do you say? In my experience, never is he telling me, yeah, you really are dumb. Right? He doesn't say that. He might say, that was a bad choice. I can fix. I can deal with this. We can make something good out of it. Trust me. That's a better voice to listen to. The challenge we have is recognizing it's him. Knowing that, that's, that it's his voice. But maybe we just stop. We capture that thought and we go, okay, well, I need to hear what Jesus has to say. Because what he says is the word of God. Sometimes it is conviction. Sometimes it's, you shouldn't have done that. Sometimes, all the time, it will line up with what the Bible says. It will not contradict what the Bible says. If it contradicts what the Bible says, guess what? That's not his word. That's not his voice. See the importance of reading God's word? We don't know what his voice is if we don't know what he says. We have to know what he says. Sometimes it's a word of gentle encouragement. There are times I argue with him when he tries to encourage me. That is not recognizing the word of God. Like I'm smarter than him? We don't need to argue with him. What we need to recognize is, is what he says is the word. As he's formed in you, his directing of your life it will go from something like this. We have this language. Well, I had this thought. I had this thought. Maybe we just stop for a minute and go, wait a minute, I need to capture that thought that I had and find out, is this what, God, what does Jesus say about it? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it something that needs to be brought to, into obedience? Or is it something I need to say, yes, that's right. It is, it is him. We transition, as he's formed in us, we transition to saying things like, I, I think I'm supposed to. And as that, as that formation continues, it turns into, God's directing me, God's teaching me. 
And it continues to grow. And it turns into God is commanding His word is speaking to me. Look at the story that we see from what Luke says. Reads the scroll, teaches, speaks the word of God. In our life, as he's formed in us, it goes from, yeah, this is what the Bible says, and there's a disconnect, and then it goes to, he's teaching me, to it goes to, he's, it is the word of God. That's what needs to happen in us. So number, that's number one. Number two is this. There will always be these moments where he tells us something we really don't feel like doing. As we look at this story, and we can say, well, as he's formed in me, there's going to be these moments where he's going to say, this is, what, this is what I'm calling you to, and you're going to go, but I don't want to. Look, I fished all night. I had no success. I just want to go home and go to sleep. I hope we get to the place where we say, but because you said so. I want to quit, I want to stop, but because you said so, I'll do it. What's your response? Is it more like Peter? I mean, because Peter was tempted there, right? He wasn't just telling Jesus, well, I'm pretty tired, but because you said so. What he was saying is, is, I'm wrestling here because home looks a lot better than going out to fish again. Do we feel that pull? Do we feel that pull to actually take that step of faith and do what he's saying? Yeah, I want to do that. But there's something pulling me to do what he's saying because he said so. He will invite you to do things you don't want to do isn't that good news today? Huh? He will invite you to do things that you don't want to do. But let me ask you, do you think, do you think Peter ever regretted going out and dropping his nets in the water one more time? Do you think just even a couple days later, Peter was like, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have gone out and had that best fishing day of my life. I don't think he ever regretted it. So let me ask you, is there something that he's been telling you to do, but you've been hesitating to take the step? Now let me clarify, it's okay to say, is that you? Okay. I don't want a church full of people that are doing weird and crazy things. I want us to stop and say, okay, is this, is this you? And then we can say with Peter, because you say so, I will let down my nets. And the last thing I think we should look at is this. There's, there's coming a point where he will speak to you about what you do. That he has a plan for you. Did you hear what he said to Peter? 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. I've got a plan for you. It went from Peter's worst day of fishing, probably, right, to Peter's best day of fishing. And that's when Jesus says, now, come follow me. To follow him will require you leaving something. You're going to have to leave something. We don't get to follow him without sacrifice. What did, you, did you notice in the story? They left everything. Why, it would have been nice if they left that word out, right? They just left. They left everything. They left the boats, they left the nets, and they left the fish. Yikes. So, do you want Jesus to be formed in you? It seems like a fair question. Do you want Jesus to be formed in you? Are you content with, you know what, I received him into my life. He's forgiven my sins. I got the heaven thing figured out. That's good enough. That's good. Don't get me wrong. That's good. But as I read the New Testament, what I see is this, there's this calling to something more to have him formed in us. Now we can just go, yeah, I think it's gonna happen, maybe. Or we can say, no, I want it to happen. We can recognize that he's calling us to it. It's an invitation to have him formed in us. Has there been a point in your life which you can say, I pulled my boats ashore and I left everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody should be a pastor, okay? That's not it. We're not necessarily talking about a career. We're talking about a calling. We're talking about what his plans are for your life rather than what your plans are for your life. I mean, is there a place in your life like this moment was for Peter? I want to I kind of shape that a little bit for you, okay? Because I think this moment that Peter had here is a lot like what Paul describes in Galatians 2 when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hear that, those words of Paul, and I think that was a moment in Peter's life where he goes, yep, we're leaving the boats. We're leaving the fish. I'm going to set aside my dream, 
I'm going to set aside what I think is the greatest thing, and I'm following you. If he is going to be formed in you, it will cost you. It will require you to make a decision. So let me ask it again. Do you want him to be formed in you? He is constantly saying, follow me. Jesus is constantly calling us to follow him. You know what? Every time that I have pulled my boat ashore and left everything, it's an adventure. Those moments in my life where I recognize he's calling me to give up everything. To surrender to him 100%. What's funny about those moments though, because I look back on them and I can go, I don't know that that was 100%. Because later on, a couple years later, I'm like, this is 100%. A couple years later, I'm going, no, this is 100%. A couple years later, I'm like, this is 100%. Guess what? That first 100% was still 100% because it was, I was giving up everything I knew to give up. He sees the depth of our heart. He knows what beyond us, we have the limited view. Are we going to surrender 100%, whatever 100% is right now? Just out of curiosity, if anybody would be willing to share. These are good moments to be able to share. If I were to ask you, what has he called you from? Would anybody be willing to say something? What has he called you from? Yeah, Elisa. Anger. Anger, okay. All right. Sometimes that stuff's scary to let go of, isn't it? Somebody else? What has he called you from? Yeah. Worry. Oh. I'm still hanging on to that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, good job. That's good. What has he called you from? Yeah. Stepping out from what? Okay. Stepping out to do what you feel you should be doing, all right? I'll say for me, when I, when I, you know, I felt God was saying, I want you to be a youth pastor. It took me a year to finally say, okay. Pulling my boats ashore, right? That was a big one. But there's, I mean, there's other moments that that's a career thing. Huh? That there's, there's moments in our life where absolutely when we step into serving in a place, even in the church. Okay? Somebody else? Should we expect, as Christians, should we expect that 
that we're going to have to make some sacrifices? Uh, should we expect that, that who we are right now isn't necessarily who we're supposed to be? This is not the way we were designed. This is not what God has planned for us. But as he's formed in us, he's transforming us into who he created us to be. So do you want him to be formed in you? So let me ask another question. What's he calling you from right now? What is that 100% to you today? I mean, are you content with receiving Christ? Or do you want his formation in you? Here's the struggle. We can contemplate that question and we can walk out of here and we can pretend like we're going to contemplate it tomorrow and the next day and maybe even get to Tuesday and still compliment, you know, contemplate it. Or we can stop right now and make a decision. Would you bow your heads with me? We don't open the altars very often. Well, they're always open, but I don't, we don't invite very often. It's a good place to come. Leave our boats. So I invite you. If there's something that God's saying, it's time to pull your boats ashore. Come follow me. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. I'm not going to come ask you what it is. I just want you to take a step. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so guilty of never finishing that statement, but because you said so. I give reasons for not being obedient. I justify not putting my debts in. I want my life to be full of those statements, but because you said so. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we would be people that, that hear your invitation. That we leave everything and follow you.
you continue to transform us? Make us who you want us to be, please. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Well, may you depart now knowing the invitation of God to move. From comfort to insecurity, from what we know to what we have yet to discover. From where we have been to where we have yet to go. From safety to a place of risk. Go in the example of the Christians before us. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, who said, follow me. Without saying where he was going, just promising transformation and relationship with God.